At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where it's not snowing, it's sunny. Today on Sunday, April the 24th, 2022, it's been two, four, 14 years, is that right? 2008, 2 plus 12 is 14 years since I enlisted. Jesus. Anyway, I'm joined by my uh, co-host, the everyman of WrestleNomics, Chris Cole. Hello. Oh, I also like to call myself pro wrestling's utility man. I could do everything but wrestle. Mm-hmm. You've um, <laughs> so, have you ever had a match? Yes. I see. I seem to recall. <laughs> yes, I, I seem to. I seem to recall um, teaching you how to take a shoulder tackle or something before a show. Deliver shoulder tackle and you taught me the ropes. Because someone had the audacity to put you in a match or something. Is that is that correct? Am I remembering this this right? <laughs> yes. How did how, what yes. was that? How, I have how did worked, that go? Uh, that was that was a long time ago. Yeah, I think it was seventeen, early two thousand seventeen, hmm. maybe eighteen. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, I uh, I have had two matches. Uh, I've been in a couple better Royal Suit, but I've also uh, been in a six man tag and a tag team match. No singles match for me though. Wow. You you worked with um Bruce Barr, Beefcake, and Greg Valentine. Though is that, is that am I remembering that correctly? Well, yes, but I, I just the, the uh, manager on the outside yeah. that got his hair cut. And you you were working a little tight with them. Is that right? You were, you were a little bit unprofessional. <laughs> so here's the story, and <laughs> I'll tell the story on the air here. So I do a spot with Brutus the Barber Beefcake, and. I'm, you know, doing the whole, you know, neck choke on the ropes and the refs not looking standard, you know, 80s heel manager thing. And I was very loose because I was afraid to hurt the guy. Like, I was just very loose, you know. And the next night uh, when he there, I'm on that show, not involved in angle with them, but they're also uh, Beefcake Valentine wrestling a couple friends of mine. And my buddy Brian is a manager for that team. 
And after the match, like he was frustrated. And what he goes, he wouldn't let me do any spots with him. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, he said you were too stiff with him last night. We're talking about he, his he, neck was hurting. He is like, Valentine, Greg Valentine. No, beefcake, beefcake, beefcake. Okay. Oh, okay. Too stiff. okay. Yes. Uh, I'm like, this guy would wrestle bad news Brown. And then, and then I am I, I, me, the chubby, uh, overweight manager is too stiff and, and too tough. For him. Okay. okay. <laughs> more, more, so. more to come on Chris Gold's shoot interview, which is coming out later this year. Um, anyway, <laughs> I got some stories. <laughs> anyway, if, if, if people want to send in a super chat here, if they're listening, watching live on YouTube, how can they do that? Chris Gold? Well, you can actually hit, uh, hit that uh, little chat button. There's a little dollar sign on YouTube there, and you can put in any amount starting at a dollar. And speaking of Super Chat, they're already flowing. Our good friend oh, wow. Tim B here with the Super Chat just saying, good morning, boys. I'm sure I'll have a question later, but here's five bucks. Thank you. Thank so, uh, Tim, when you do uh, have that question, just kind of preface like, hey, this is my question in the chat. Mm-hmm. Like, This is the one I want to answer, and I'll ask brandon the question but yeah so uh it should be a fun show we got a lot to talk about today uh we're going to kind of talk about uh fan popularity with consumer driven metrics for AEW and wwe uh and we're also going to discuss kind of the media ecosystem right now with streaming as we netflix subscribers have not only stalled but gone down cnn plus is shutting down after just launching and much more so yes i hope our streaming's holding up and i i do see some unfavorable uh, numbers here but anyway um i heard that you went to, to i know we did we did, did talk on wednesday night but we did not talk that much yeah. about um your live experience i know you you are somebody who needs a smile put on his face uh, on a reading maintenance uh, for your smile so you naturally went to the key bank center in downtown buffalo new york for wwe's monday night raw this past monday how was it uh well first off um i mean i've attended a lot of wrestling shows at the key bank center uh and paid this cheap amount for this good of a seat ever in my wrestling fandom and i've been going to shows since the niagara falls convention center 1993 but i remember but I went, so we, we got there, me and my friend, I literally walked up to the ticket lady and go, give me your cheap, two cheapest tickets in the house. <laughs> and, she, <laughs> and she goes, do you want hundred level or 200 level? I'm like, okay, hundred level, of course. <laughs> and we got two seats and there, they weren't obstructed viewing. You were right there in the what, entrance way. You, what did you, you pay? See everybody come out and everything. And 20, 20, 24.99 20 and so because I bought a box office, there was no fees, so less, yeah. wow. so less than $50 for me and my friend to attend the show. You walked up $25 and you sat not on the floor but on the first level. You were where, where were you like relative? If it was a hockey game, where, where on the ice were you situated? I would be closer to the left goal end, like okay, so you're on the corner, somebody's, but. This is a corner seat. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say corner seat. Yeah, but you weren't at center ice. This wasn't like opposite hard cam or anything. N- no, no, no. Okay. Um. Uh. How was the crowd? How was the? How was the, the? This. Uh. We have. We have the slide up here. Um. Probably nobody can see it unless I change to this view. Um. Tickets distributed. I think this is. It might be slightly different. We might be seeing it in the in the ticker. But one of the last counts that WrestleTix had for this event was seven thousand three hundred and fifty-one 
distributed. That's a lot better than the house show they did. This is a raw, so you'd expect that. Way better. So, you, uh, yeah. Oh, no, I was – well, go ahead. I'll let you finish your point. I'll kind of talk about that, the crowd size and all that. So how was how was the crowd reaction? Or say what you're going to say. All right. Well, okay. We'll talk about the crowd. Yes. First off, parking was more than what it was when I would park there in December because I did go to the house show in December too. Um, parking was definitely more, and there was a lot more people. Traffic was a lot worse. Like I said, it was a, it was double the crowd of what they had at the house show. Cool. Um, as far as the crowd, go figure. You know where the crowd was the hottest when talent came out, and actually during the wrestling matches. That live crowd was very restless for any time they threw a video in the backstage. You could tell just restless and kind of, oh, and, 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 and people just chanting random things and all that. Uh, they, uh, except for the edge segment, the crowd was pretty hot for the edge segment, but that's probably because he bad mouthed the Buffalo sports teams. Uh, <laughs> and the wedding. The crowd could care less about that wedding, that double commitment ceremony. I, I heard so that they were chanting. I heard that during the wedding, um, <laughs> you actually um, initiated some disruptive chants. Since you are admittedly a, a an AW operative, you went to this event to to cause disruptive chants. Um, you're you're one of those people who complains and kvetches about the W product, but that but doesn't boycott it. And in, and in fact, you you went to to the to the arena to to be disruptive. Is that correct? Can I confirm that? Uh, that is not correct. You were fed some misinformation. <laughs> uh, no, I did not start the shout chant, nor did I join in. But I laughed that it was happening because uh, it was very loud. Uh, one thing I noticed too on this show is they mentioned Buffalo a lot on TV, mm-hmm. and we talked about how they don't really do that. Where they mention the cities they're in, like they mention if it's a big enough market, they will mention it. When they're in a smaller market for television, they're who knows where they are. But uh, Buffalo's not a I mean, huge Buffalo's market. Buffalo's mid to late fifties for a media market, though. It it is on the on the lower end when, but it does have like major sports teams. Two out of the four league sports they've got. I think it's and it's in some place that they they go a couple times a year. I don't know. I, I think it's big enough, but. Yes, we are. We are a suburb of um, New York City, or something. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that, that was one of the lines to said. Yep. Uh, but oh, the crowd also too. The the lie detector thing. They, they weren't really into that either. That segment either. Mm-hmm. So go figure. Th- this crowd loved the wrestling part of it, Brandon. No, and but that's not what the casual fan wants. Okay, <laughs> that's not what I want. <laughs> yes, you are the casual wrestling fan. For those listening just um, in audio, I, my lower third says casual fan. Um, since I don't know that we're oh. going to really talk about New Japan today, but but yeah, we'll, we'll get into some other things that are related. Overall, it was an enjoyable experience. I mean, a cheap seat, a good seat, uh, and uh, they uh, the matches and everything were good. Yeah. So, yes. Overall, it wasn't too bad. They they do new thing now when they try to like occupy the fans between commercial breaks is they do like this, like show us your best DX and the, you do the X chop or show us your best heartbreak kid. And, this, and they play like the music and they go around the arena and all that. So that's like a newer thing they're doing now. And, and I've noticed from doing the quarter hours where I have to like go through the DVR and almost watch this content um, that they'll do. This is happening on, Raw SmackDown and NXT, where they cannot go to a commercial break without first doing.
doing an entrance. So there's a wrestler that comes yes. out, has an entrance, and then waits, I don't know, waits in the ring. And for oftentimes, not just the duration of a commercial break, but for some other non-in-ring segments as well. So I'll give you an example of that. So RK Bro came out, you know, they're on TV getting in the ring and everything. Then they they go to commercial. They obviously turn RK Bro's music off. Then they do this. All right, folks, we want to see your You Can't See Me. So everybody's doing the You Can't See Me. And then they pan on like Matt Riddle actually doing it. We can't, we can't see you, bro. And then uh, and then as soon as they're about to go back, they play the RK Bro music again. <laughs> and then here we are. Okay. I hope John Cena is getting some royalties or something for that. Anyway, uh, what do you want to talk about today? Um, so we'll, we'll get right into it here. And we actually, uh, we did get a, uh, super chat, which will kind of tie into this, uh, uh, real quick, uh, as far as fan, uh, stuff, but, uh, we'll start with the super chat and then we'll get into this, but the super chat from CWJ at one, two, eight, good morning. If you had to speculate, how much revenue does AEW need to break? Even curious if AEW will increase to five to six pay-per-views a year. Thank you. And thank you, CWJ. Thanks. It's, it's very difficult for me to. It's, it's easier for me to estimate revenue where I, you know, I think in 2020, I estimated something like $64 million. I happen to remember that exactly because it's mentioned in the MLW complaint. Um, 80 some odd million dollars is what I estimated for 2021. It's easier to estimate revenue because a lot of the, the evidence of revenue is visible publicly, whether that's um, we know what w, what AEW's TV deal is worth on an average annual basis, according to public comments from Tony Khan. We know we through WrestleTix have an idea of what their ticket sales are like, um, because we know how many people are roughly how many people are attending the events. We can get an idea of venue merch. Um, it's harder to to unpack what the cost is of everything. I think I have an idea of what the cost is of an average TV taping for AEW. I think it's a little over half a million dollars every time they tape television. Uh, at a, at a, at a major venue. I don't know about the dark and elevation things. Those are probably less expensive and it's probably less expensive when they go to Daly's place, but it's, it's hard to, for instance, estimate what are they paying talent or how, how is the, is Tony Khan's investment apparently, you know, with AEW's business, you know, with, uh, under W under AEW's, uh, business, this investment that he's told Forbes that he made, that was at least ten million dollars. Does that all count in into the year that it happened, which was maybe last year? Does it count into this year? Um, we plan t- time allowing today. We, I plan on getting into uh, some speculation about what WNAW's next TV rights upgrade uh, might look like, assuming it is an upgrade. Um, and once they make a deal that is at a at a strong upgrade from their current deal, $44 million, if they get it tripled or quadrupled or more than that, I tend to believe they'll be profitable at that point because that's a lot of money. And um, I mean, I guess we could take about a half a million dollars or like $600,000, you know, multiply that by 52 and add in some more expensive pay-per-view tapings and maybe a few other tapings that they're doing. And then you get an idea of their production cost. Um yeah, I to to try to answer the question directly. I think they'll be profitable if they get a multi-factor increase in their TV rights fees, which would only go into effect, by the way, in 2025, not any sooner than that. Uh, so I wouldn't 
be confident that they'll be profitable until that happens. Um, second part of the question is just, uh, you know, curious if they would increase the five to six pay-per-views a year. I think this new Japan super show could possibly be something annual. And that would be, that's right smack dab in the summer between their two shows. And I think that would be a good fifth pay-per-view, but I don't see them expanding more than that. It has been indicated to me that they will not do more. I mean, obviously they, they're, they're going to do an, a fifth one with along with new Japan and maybe they're sharing the revenue from that. Not clear to me, probably though. Right. Um, I don't expect them to do more than four pay-per-views a year as, as long as the current distribution through pay-per-view is what they're doing. Maybe if they make a deal with some sort of streaming platform like, like WB has with Peacock and part of what, what makes that deal viable is more than four a year, maybe then, but not, not for now. I expect them to do four pay-per-views a year as long as their current model of distribution is what it is. Yeah, and I agree. Like I said, I mean, they could do like a one once a year of this New Japan thing, or maybe they do a different idea or something like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so we'll kind of get right into what we were going to talk about today, lead off here, and talk about some consumer-driven data when it comes to fan popularity. And we're going to start with AEW with TV ratings, pay-per-view buys, YouTube views, and Google web search. Yes. Uh, is AEW growing? Whatever you want to interpret that to mean. Uh, we... I put this together because I saw people talking about it and, and a lot of people, uh, you know, including people who are influential and who people listen to and who draw an audience, uh, talking about how AEW is not growing. And, um, there's a criticism that even this new Japan thing that they're doing, that's not going to draw anybody beyond the the captive audience that they already have. Um, we're not going to get into that. I don't think, but I can say, uh, we're not going to look at ticket sales here because we're, we're missing a whole year and a half or so of ticket sales because of the pandemic. I could have gone back and looked into 2019. I'm not as confident in the numbers that we have in 2019 as I am in the numbers that we have now through Russell Ticks. So when July comes, Q3 comes, we'll start having year-over-year comparisons uh, for tickets distributed for both AEW and WWE. But what we do have for now is all the metrics that Gullah just said, TV ratings, pay-per-view buys, YouTube views, and web search. and all of those things are up in Q1 2022 and most of the other quarters as well. Total viewership in Q1 was up 29%. The demo was up 28%. Um, then it's been up year over year on a quarterly basis uh, for the last four quarters. Now, is that going to be the case in Q2? It's going to be, a, it's going to at least be a tighter comparison because we're going to be comparing AEW in Q2 against an AEW in Q2 of 2021 that was mostly after the end of the Wednesday Night War. We are now more than one year since the end of the Wednesday Night War, which ended in the middle of April last year. So those year-over-year comparisons are not going to be as favorable, I'm virtually certain, unless something big happens and AEW's ratings are even bigger than what they are now. Uh, but but those that that is happening. TV viewership is up. One could dismiss that to say, hey, but they're not going against NXT. You can look at NXT, though, and their ratings are even lower on a year-over-year basis. Uh, so, And they're free of the, the AEW competition as well. Clearly, to me, that's about the content. And maybe partly it's about the content in AEW's case as well. Anyway, pay-per-view buys. Every pay-per-view of a given name, Revolution, Double or Nothing, All Out, Full Gear. Every one of those pay-per-views have sold more 
pay-per-view buys than the, the pay-per-view of the same name in the prior year. Um, that will probably end with all out later this year. Uh, Double or nothing, I, I believe, could do better than the 115,000 buys that it did uh, last year, which is lower than anything has done since the arrival of CM Punk. So I would I would expect it to do more than 115,000 buys. Uh, I do not expect all out to do 205,000 buys, which is what that pay-per-view did last year with the first match with CM Punk in, in seven years. Um, but all those pay-per-views are up. YouTube views have been up every year. I'm fairly confident in this data that I'm extracting from Social Blade. Social Blade is is counting every single day. It's going in and counting the number of video views that are publicly visible on the YouTube channel's about page. If you delete a video or set it to private or unlisted, those the views that are related to that video disappear from your sum of video views. So there's that to deal with. That's why it says here, source Social Blade data adjusted by Russell Namas, because I'm going in there and doing some math to try to detect because in, in some cases there are days that are negative on video views for for AEW or WWE or whoever's uh YouTube channel on days where they apparently removed videos from from public visibility. So I'm trying to deal with that and you know use the social blade data to look at what how how many video views is this channel doing over the course of time. And after making that adjustment, every quarter is up for AEW on YouTube. Does YouTube draw a lot of money? No, probably somewhere around uh, a dollar per thousand views. So maybe I would think in in the high six figures for a channel like AEW. Um, web search. I think web search is insightful when you look look at it over a long course of time. Uh, we've got one, two, three, four, four consecutive quarters where the year over year difference worldwide and in the U.S. is positive. In some quarters, like Q3 of last year, the quarter where CM Punk arrived and Daniel Bryan, excuse me, Bryan Danielson and Adam Cole arrived, that's up 84% worldwide, 103% doubled in the U.S. Uh, and in this quarter, Q1, it's still up. Uh, in fact, uh, on a rolling 12-month basis, AEW's web search has never been higher. I think web search reflects how much people are thinking about a given topic, a given brand. Uh, so is AEW growing in, in what? In popularity and revenue? Yes and yes. Uh, is it growing in profitability? Probably not. It's probably not profitable yet, which is sort of what we discussed based on the last question. Uh, there's that. Anything to add before we go on to WWE? So you would just say as a brand – is it becoming more of a household name? You would with these metrics. I would, it's just a brand. I would stop well short of calling AEW a household name, but you're talking about being in that direction, being a, a recognizable brand. Yes, it is yeah. becoming more recognizable, and it is probably generating more revenue on a year-over-year basis. Have it you, could be its own self-identity to the casual fan. Because I know you've probably talked to people that probably aren't even casual. They're hard to trust. Like, yeah, it's awesome. Wrestling on the TV the other day. I guess CM Punk's there. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. Did you uh, did you encounter any uh, family members over the Easter holiday that uh, and did you uh, ask them if, if they knew what AEW was your favorite wrestling company? Um, 
I did not because nobody in my family is even a casual wrestling fan. Nobody. I am the only person that likes and enjoys professional wrestling in my family. Okay. Um, but what about WWE? Um, WWE, we'll, we'll look at this on a short-term basis first, and then I have a little bit of a deeper look. And what we have for WWE, um, it's different for WWE, right? Because, well, for one thing, we don't have pay-per-view buys data to look at, not, not, not to the extent that there was before 2014 when the network launched. So there's no pay-per-view. The SW is still selling pay-per-views on a very limited basis to people who buy WWE events on pay-per-view for whatever lingering reason. Um, but there's no pay-per-view data to look at. WWE's YouTube is um, impacted by moves that they've made on their YouTube channel to appease business partners, including Sony in India and including the new Peacock deal, relatively new Peacock deal. Uh, so WWE's YouTube views are down on a year-over-year basis for four straight quarters. Uh, we're making an excuse for that here, that they've taken videos off and that appears to be a, a factor. Uh, otherwise, maybe they would be up. I don't know. We, we, we can't really know based on the data that we have in front of us. Uh, raw viewership has been down most quarters since 2020. Um, SmackDown viewership has done better and SmackDown has moved from, um, in fact, in fact, in all of this time, no, not in, in, in 2019, but SmackDown has been on Fox on Friday since Q4 2019. Uh, and what we see is, you know, viewership is in most quarters is down. Uh, viewership in Q3 2021 on a year-over-year basis was up. What happened in Q3 2021? Uh, live touring. Live touring returned. Um, but what we're seeing here, I I have seen in, in, in the wrestling conversation of late, um, both what I said earlier, you know, pe- people saying that AW is not growing, but they are. But And then I've also seen people saying that WWE's declining. I've certainly said that WWE is declining from 2016, roughly to the present. What we're seeing lately, though, is that I, th- I think their popularity decline is finally flattening. Why? Well, look. let's look here in that we can see Raw's viewership year over year is only down 5%. It's still down, but hey, all TV is down. And being down 5% is not that bad. Demo is down 16%. So Demo is still down pretty strongly. Uh, but let's okay. So that Raw's mixed bag. But what about SmackDown? SmackDown is actually up in Q1 in total viewership by one percent. Uh, being up one percent, I think is is pretty good. Um, they're down five percent though in the demo. So not a great story, but a decent one in in ratings. Um, if we look at web search, which is basically the only other meaningful metric we're going to have to look at here, uh, web search is up year over year in Q1 by 1% for WWE. It's up 11% in Q1 in the United States. And if we look back at in, in this, I don't know if people will be able to see this. I know our, our stream is not uh, behaving well. I might have to give Spectrum a call pretty soon. Um, but if we go back and, and look deeper in, in into the log of time, and if we go back to 2015, um, which is what I have on the screen now. If we look at the web search from 2015 to the present, we can see that beginning in Q1 2017, let's let's go with on a worldwide basis first, because that's the cleaner, the clearer case. We have several consecutive quarters of worldwide web search decline for WWE. Q1 2017, 
beginning there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty consecutive quarters of decline in worldwide web search. WW, I'm not talking about the World Wide Web here. Don't yell at me. In in web search globally, uh, that has ended though. Again, Q1 up one percent. Uh, what do they call it? Uh, an, an economic, uh, like an economist's definition of recession is like two consecutive quarters of year-over-year decline, something like that. You could say when it comes to web search, WB has been in a web search recession for one, two, three, four, five consecutive years, and the recession is finally just ending now, maybe. Um, and U.S. web search is up 11%. We just said that, though. Um, there is one one quarter that breaks that streak in the U.S., and that's Q2 2019, where it was up 2% from the, the Q2 of the prior year. Did something happened in Q2 2019 that you can think of. Like That's the WrestleMania quarter. WrestleMania, the last WrestleMania before the pandemic. That's the Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair main event, WrestleMania. Uh, so... I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe back on Cena came back too. did the thugonomics rap. Like there was, they had a quite a, quite a few things in 2019 for that WrestleMania in New York and the, the raw after. So my, my like assessment of the business here is that, you know, AW is growing much, much smaller in many, many ways, including revenue, including profitability, including television viewership, including the demo viewership, including web search, including YouTube views, W is way bigger, but AW is growing. WWE, while their financial picture, their revenues, their net income is growing, their popularity until Q1 of this year has been in decline. Now we're seeing signs that we have to say that is stabilizing, maybe. And if we see this continue to, to if we see ratings continue to be you know only down by double digits or up a little bit, we see web search continue to be up to the degree that it is or to just to not be down, I think then we're seeing stabilization of this popularity decline that we've been talking about here since, I think I, I remember writing the article in 2018 for Fightful at the time, uh, going over a preponderance of, of metrics, including the ones we're looking at, where it's, it started to occur, it started to uh, be, be evident that WWE's popularity was declining. Uh, because of year of year comparisons to 2017 that you were able to look back on in 2018. So that looks to be stabilizing, just to say that again. And maybe the wrestling business is getting a little bit warmer. It's not a, not a boom period because WWE is not even as popular as it was a few years ago. Um, why is this happening? Why is WWE not continuing to, to fall with gravity here? Um, I, I, John, pa- John Pollock and I talked about this on Friday on, on post-wrestling news update. Um, I have some additional thoughts since since, I, since we talked about it. Do you have any guesses, though, Gullo? Uh, I mean, I think brand loyalty to the audience that is there. they A, a fan base that's never going to go away. But that's not so, growing. That's not growth. That's intensity. Maybe they're just searching more. I mean, I, 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 that's the thing. I, I think they have such a they're not growing, but they won't take a deep fall because of that loyalty and that fan base. But I think a lot of the growth is not really creating and and, and not that they don't want to, but we talked about not creating a lot of new stars at the crowd is into whenever the crowd wants to organically create a new star, they seem to steer away from that direction. 
Um, so really, no, no, no. Well, why? The why crowd. is the? But wait, wait. Why is Q1 looking more positive than than any quarter in a long time? That's what I'm trying to talk about here. So specifically, this this Q1, or right now, I expect this well, to continue. I would expect this to continue into Q2. I mean, would you just say that it's maybe a growth in wrestling in general? Like, as far as people are in, oh, AEW's here. Oh, what's WWE doing? It's that whole. I think that could be a factor. And I think what's a factor also um, is Peacock. I think there was, I mean, we're not going back in time. We've only got 2015 and forward on the screen. But if we had metrics going further back in time, at least in web search, you know, because TV's a, a, an aging metric, YouTube is an, an immature metric. But if we look at the web search, we saw that grow from, you know, t- 2013. It got bigger in 14, got bigger in 15, got bigger in 16. Peaked there, went down after that. I think, why did that happen? Um, and when we see a number of different metrics too, um, including ticket sales and merchandise sales, real revenue consumer metrics that rose over that time of, you know, the mid 2010s, let's call it. Why did that happen? Um I think it had a lot to do with distribution of the W network. I think uh, developing new stars, including the three members of the shield helps. I think developing women into actual wrestlers that helps. And, um, and the distribution helped people got access to the W network to see the pay-per-views who were not, uh, it was not reaching them before what's happening now. I think after that, okay, the, the quality of the product felt, you know, was not good and people got tired of it and frustrated and they disengaged with WWE. And what's happening now is that Peacock is here, and maybe people who are watching it on Peacock, maybe they did, maybe they didn't ever subscribe to the W Network. But Peacock is in a lot of homes relative to the W Network. It's, you know, there's like 24 million in monthly active users or something like that. It's It's in... More than a dozen million homes. Um, well, it's in 20, 24 million homes where, the, where people are using it on, on a monthly active basis. So there's more reach here. And I think that is that is a factor. And the return to fans helps also. And, and maybe Roman Reigns is a big, bigger star now than he has been in a while. I was just going to go back to your point. I think another point of why that 14 to 16 era did see a little uptick in popularity was a lot of the return of nostalgic stars. In that time period, we had Sting, we had Goldberg, we had the Hardys, we had uh, Shane McMahon, I believe, too. Like, so there's a lot of, there was a lot of return of nostalgic stars in that time period, too. Yep. Um, here, here's the sequential situation with uh, ticket sales uh, since the return to touring. What stands out most to me is look at that dynamite number, Gullo. Look at that dynamite column. Analyze that column for me. Uh, well, I mean, uh, if you look at it here, it looks like that, that that it has decreased over time from Q3. Yes, dynamite in Q1 uh, averaged about av- dynamite in Q1 averaged about five thousand uh, tickets distributed according to Russell Ticks. Uh, Q1 is usually a good time for WWE, and that's what we saw. We saw an increase in tickets distributed for SmackDown and for Raw. Uh, House shows, we did not. House shows continued to decline, moving towards 4,000 on average. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll see as, uh, as the quarters move on. But that's 
that's what I see is that, you know, Raw and SmackDown, that, that's a consumer metric. Maybe Raw and SmackDown, at least the TV tapings, not the house shows, because I think house shows are an obsolete product that, you know, Vince is holding on to for whatever reason. Uh, but, but Raw and SmackDown, see some stabilization there. Dynamite, not so much, maybe because Dynamite's running too many of the same markets over and over again. But they, I know they have some new markets uh, yeah. that, they're, that they're going to coming soon. Yeah, that was the point I was going to bring up. Repetition of markets. I think they've been in like the same cities in Texas multiple times since the return of live touring. Yes. Like Cedar Park. And I can't remember all the names of them, but yeah. Right. Uh, I found out that I didn't, I didn't realize that there were also Google web search uh, IDs, let's call them, topics that I can select. So rather than what, what we're always talking about here when I'm talking about web search, I'm not talking about the web search for one particular search string. I'm not talking about the searches for WE, that that would be included in a, in a number of things that Google decides in its algorithmic wisdom that that should be included in this topic that they call WWE. Um, and then they have like they always have little descriptors for what this thing is that that you've selected for. And I I, I want to bring this up for years. What do you what 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 do you think they described WWE as? What is WWE? I think wrestling. It was described <laughs> as, a, as a media company, media company media. that has changed recently. No longer is WWE categorized by Google Trends as a media company. Oh, no. It is now a professional wrestling company. Steph- Stephanie's got to get on top of that. I thought would have happened. Stephanie's got to get on top of that. They're, they're, they're going backwards. Um, anyway, but I didn't realize that there were topics for all of these relatively small independent wrestling companies uh, until the other day. I knew that you know, some of these existed, but I, but, but I grabbed the data for the following, what I would call super indies, AAW, the indie based in Chicago, AIW based in Cleveland, beyond wrestling based in the England area, uh, big time wrestling in California, Chikara, CZW, Evolve, GCW, House of Hardcore, Insane Championship Wrestling, the UK based one, Northeast Wrestling, the, the New England-based one, um, OTT in Ireland, Preston City Wrestling in the UK, PWG, Progress, Shimmer, Shine, WXW in Germany, all of those. Uh, Big-time wrestling. You, you, not the California. I mean, you pulled the one that runs, like, the super shows in the Northeast that usually has, like, all the former, like, WWE names. Is that what the one you I th- pulled? I think this is I don't the, think the one. In- I think this is the one in California. Okay. The one that I feel like that one's nowhere near as popular as the one that that usually runs in the northeast and the south. It's it's described in Google Trends as a wrestling school. Interesting. And the one in Cal I, I I could be wrong here. I think the one in California has a wrestling school, and the one in the New England areas, is the northeast area, does not. I could be totally yeah, I, wrong. Yeah, I know. Obviously, I'm more aware of that one because they're the ones that like they've had Kane. The- Ali and the Hardys, like they usually have a giant bunch of those shows. Okay. Um, so what, what I try to do is kind of do uh, an index. And what I what I found here, you can see on the screen if you're watching on YouTube, we don't need to talk talk over the numbers here. But basically what I found is that this this index of of bundle of indies across the US, um, I don't think there were any in there. There's definitely no none in Canada that I selected here. I don't know if there's there any in Canada that I could have. I did try Smash, and it's, it's not in there. Um, but anyway, this would support an argument that independent wrestling peaked in 2017 and has been 
you know, on the decline coinciding with the pandemic uh, ever since. It even was down. I mean, it was down somewhat in 2018, still pretty high, down some more in 2019. And I think that that coincides with the harvesting of indie talent coinciding with uh, WWE at that, at that time and AEW recruiting that talent more. But here we are with 2022. It looks like numbers are increasing for really any actions decreasing aren't really active right now. True. Uh, and we have an influx of talent because WWE did those mass releases. I, I don't think we're, we're ever going to have an influx of talent like we had in the early 2010s, mid, mid 2010s, I guess, um, because somebody's going to get them and there there's AW there. Um, whereas until 2014, there was, you know, almost a policy of, you know, of not taking their talent seriously, that, that independent talent seriously. Um, but it does seem to be creeping back up. And as you pointed out, a lot of these, these companies are just not active or not very active, not active as they, as they once were, including Evolve doesn't run anymore. CZW still runs. It must, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, Ch- it's like more, it's more scaled back. Like I think a, a belt collector just bought all their original titles. Now they have new belts and it seems like a lot of students and stuff. So it's very scaled back. Shakara, does Shakara still run? No. Okay. I heard Corbush is still running a wrestling school. I don't know that to be confirmed, but that's what I heard. House of Hardcore. Does does that run anymore? I've not no. really heard of a House of Hardcore match. I think uh, Dreamer sure. mentioned that the pandemic killed it. Uh, Preston City Wrestling, does that still? Probably on some level, right? That I can't confirm. I don't know. Progress. Shimmer's is- been very inactive. Okay. Progress still does stuff on the WWE Network? Yes. Does anyone watch it? And there's anyway. Still- uh <laughs> no idea. In, in WXW and I, ICW is that the case for them as well? Um ICW is st- I believe still has stuff on the network. I don't know about WXW. I know those companies are both actively running. Uh it's funny progress they Anthony Gogo has been popping up there and they have to cut his parts out when they put it on the WWE network. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The the, the moral of the story that I wanted to say here is that I, I retired at the right time. I think I went out on top. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we've only got a partial year here for 2022, so we'll see what happens as this, the, the year goes on. Um, moving on. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Yeah. So we'll move on. And now we're going to talk about the media landscape as a whole and not just professional wrestling. And uh, we'll start with the doom and gloom Netflix news uh-huh. that, that we've been getting. And uh, I don't know if you want me to read just this big first part here, Brandon, or. Yeah. Re- to, read to the read these excerpts, which come from uh, Netflix investor relations. This is their letter to shareholders on uh, uh, April 19th, which was Tuesday. This is when they put out their release, put out their latest update for the quarter. Fellow shareholders, our revenue growth has slowed considerably as our results and forecasts below show. Streaming is winning over linear, as we predicted, and Netflix titles are very popular globally. However, our relatively high, high household penetration, which including the large number of households sharing accounts, combined with competition is creating revenue growth headwinds uh in the in the new term though we're not growing revenue as is that we're like covid doubled the picture by significantly increasing our growth in 2020 leading up to believe our most slowing growth in 2021 was due to the covid pull forward now we believe that there are four main interrelated factors at work first it's increasingly clear that the pace of the growth into our underlying addressable markets, broadband home, is partly dependent on factors uh, we don't directly control, like the, the uptake of connected TVs. Second, in addition to our 222 million paying households, we estimate that Netflix is being shared in over 100 million additional households, including over 30 million in the U.S. Third, Competition for viewing with linear TV as well as YouTube, Amazon, and Hulu has been robust for the last 15, I, I can't believe that's 15 years or one and a half years. Are, are, you, are you looking uh, at however, this on, on, the, on the slides or are you looking at it on the screen? Yeah, I'm looking at it on the slides, but this second part is definitely smaller. What, 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 um, uh, you're you're on, on the second part? On second in addition yeah. to? On the first Netflix sheet, but I'm reading that second yeah. row. Second, in, so. in addition to our t- 222 million uh, paying households, we estimate that Netflix is being shared with over 100 million additional households, including Chris Gullis household, including over 30 million in the U.S. Canada region. Um, third, yeah. competition for viewing with linear TV as well as YouTube, Amazon, and Hulu has been robust for the last 15 years. Competition's not new. Sleep is our competition, they say. They've said in the past. Uh, anyway, back back to actually quoting them. However, Over the last three years, as traditional entertainment companies realize streaming is the future, many new streaming services have launched, so competition has increased. Uh, Fourth, macro factors, including sluggish economic growth, increasing inflation, geopolitical events such as Russia's invasion of Ukraine, I believe they stopped service to Russia, uh, and some continued disruption from COVID are likely having an impact as well. Uh, So... Netflix, uh, they projected that they're going to lose subscribers this following quarter. This quarter, they did report, I believe, a slight loss in subscribers. They reported 222 million subscribers last quarter. They reported virtually the same in Q1 
2022. So Netflix subscribers are down. We did talk about this to, to a, a large extent on Wednesday, but, um, just to go a bit further here, we saw that Netflix's stock because the speculation was that, you know, who knows where the end is for growth for Netflix subscriber base. Uh, now we know where the ceiling is and the stock fell off. Oh, I'm a Netflix shareholder. I lost a lot of money too. Um, I am also a Google shareholder. That's Those are the only companies that I hold that we're about to mention here. Uh, Google stock declined also because Google owns YouTube. Uh, probably that's a factor. Um, Comcast declined uh, following April 19th as well. Comcast owns NBC, which operates Peacock. Disney declined. Disney has Disney Plus. They're a big player. And even Warner Brothers Discovery their stock, uh, which is a, a new stock because this is the merged discovery uh, company. That's only it's only got. Uh, well, I guess it does. It does have about a, a month of of a track record here. Uh, but anyway, that stock has fallen from twenty four and a half dollars to twenty and a half dollars. So they're down quite a bit. Also, uh, leading to a story about CNN Plus. Have you been watching your CNN Plus, Chris Gullo? I have not. No. And I, I had a conversation with my friend that actually did subscribe to it. And, and I asked, is this maybe something that, that would have been better off just being rolled in the main package of, of HBO Max or all that? And he goes, oh, I mean, it was good to be separate, but, you know. Can you see the, the text uh, on, on the New York Times slide? Yes. Yes, I can. Okay. Yeah, I can read that for you. This came out. This came out, I think, today from the New York Times. So uh, David Zaslav has been chief executive of Warner Brothers Discovery for all of a few hours when he learned he had a problem. On April 11th, this the day his newly merged company began trading on NASDAQ, Mr. Zaslav greeted New York employees with pasta and ice cream bars, delivering an impromptu rallying to cry, a rallying cry to his new charges. He was on his way to Washington next on the step of the coronation tour when a call came in. His team had just gotten the first look at data from CNN Plus. The much-promoted subscription service started two weeks before, and the news was grim. Fewer than 10,000 viewers were watching at any given time. Despite a multi-million dollar ad campaign and big hires like Chris Wallace, they were recommending a cold-eye review. Three days later, shortly after Mr. Zaslov uh, appeared with Oprah Winfrey for a rah-rah company town ball, he gathered deputies inside of a low Shung Stucco building in Burbank, California, on the Warner Brothers studio, uh, and he and said he agreed with the conclusion. Shut it down. Okay, so CNN Plus is being shut down. There was also uh, a conference appearance that this, the Warner Brothers CFO did, where they, he talked about how Discovery Plus and HBO Max will merge. Conspicuously, he did not mention CNN Plus, which made some people nervous. And then a couple of days before this happened, before the decision was publicly made to shut down CNN Plus earlier this week, uh, some data came out from CNBC, from Axios, uh, mentioning, among other things, what you just mentioned, fewer than 10,000 viewers were watching CNN Plus at any given time, which led some people at CNN working on CNN Plus to become suspicious of their Discovery overlords, thinking that maybe people from Discovery had leaked that data so it would be reported in advance of their decision of possibly killing the streaming platform, which they did um, so that the public was kind of ready for it. 
to, you know, and ready, ready and already thinking, well, wow, this, the streaming service isn't, isn't doing well. So that when we kill it, uh, people will have an understanding, uh, the, the, the media public, the media industry will have an understanding. So is, is streaming, streaming is dying now, as well as the bundle is dying. Everything is dying. Um, my thought is that pay TV, traditional TV, um, is here to stay for a very long time. Uh, we may continue to see pay TV households. That is when I say pay TV, that's ambiguous, right? We may continue to see traditional TV households decline, uh, from how do, how do you say this? I've written this a number of times on the keyboard. Lechtman, Lechtman research group is, uh, is a, I don't know if what you call it. It's a f- analyst, uh, that, that goes through SEC filings for, uh, various cable providers, satellite providers, uh, that, um, counts up the number of subscriptions that they have and, uh, what they have as of the end of the year is 76 million total pay TV households. So 76 million, uh, which is down from say three years ago when there are 89 million. And that's been on a pretty regular decline with a few exceptions for each sequential quarter. Um, so I think we'll continue to see that decline somewhat. Uh, but maybe, maybe eventually it stabilizes or the, the decline slows down just because when I look at um, P50 plus viewership from the limited data, this is not a total picture of what television is doing, but it, I, I can see the daily top 50 um, cable originals. And I can see the P50 plus ratings for those top 50 cable originals every day from Showbuzz Daily. And there's some fluctuation over the years from 2016 forward, but from 2016 Q1 to 2022 Q1, P50 plus viewership as a rating, so as a percentage of the population, has increased, not decreased. It's up 23% from Q1 of 2016 in Q1 of 2022. So if anything, while it has bounced up and down over the years, the last, I don't know what, the, what this is, seven years, old, older people who are age 50 or older, if anything, have only increased their viewing. And yeah, there is this 2020 year where there's this enormous viewership because of all the things in the news that were happening in 2020. But that viewership is, is up. And as I've lectured on previous weeks, P50 Plus is never going to cut the cord. Most people, I think both, you know, our parents are never going to cut the cord. They've talked about it. They threatened. It's too expensive. Bad customer service. They still haven't done it, though. My mom still has not canceled her cable. Um, now, if we look at younger people, absolutely. We see enormous attrition in 18 to 34. Where 18 to 34 in Q1 2016 is down 68%. You got about one-third of the young adult audience today as we're watching TV in the top 50 in 2016, seven years ago. Over seven years, that audience, this this data would suggest that that young adult audience has diminished down to one-third of what it was seven years ago. Uh, and that, that coincides with the increase in streaming. Um, and, and I would suggest this goes even further into maybe we're seeing a settling down of this change in behavior across digital media more generally, not limited to streaming video technology, not limited to streaming video entertainment. But if we look at YouTube, especially in the US and Canada, 
got this. These are from investor relations at, at Facebook, these column charts here, where they're stacking up the various regions of the world and looking at their daily active users. Are you using Facebook on a daily basis? In the United States. Yeah, I am. In the United States, it's a hundred and or this is US and Canada, actually, it's 195 million daily active users. And that's been about what it's been since Q1 2020. Hasn't moved much in the US. Um, still growing in the Asia Pacific region, where maybe people are getting more access to broadband technology and, and maybe uh, smartphone technology, the things that are, are needed to access Facebook. Um and we're seeing the rest of the world category still grow, but Europe, and Europe still got a little bit of growth in some quarters here, but in the uh, US and Canada, pretty stable. Um, is it the same thing for monthly active users? We're seeing a little bit of growth in monthly active users, uh, but daily active users seems pretty stable. What about Twitter? We were gonna, so we're gonna talk about the whole media landscape today. I don't think we're gonna get to Elon Musk though. I think he's safe. But <laughs> monthly active users, did you know that Twitter doesn't even report their monthly active users anymore? Can you guess why? Because no. <laughs> well, it declined? Can you look at the shape of this chart and guess why? Uh, monthly <laughs> active users basically stopped growing for Twitter in around 2017. What they prefer to talk about now is a metric that's growing called monetizable daily Twitter excuse me, monetizable daily active Twitter users worldwide. So uh, presumably there's maybe there's there's users in other parts of the world that are becoming more monetized or more monetizable over time because of ad distribution or something. So that's what they talk about now. That number is growing. The number of people using Twitter, though, probably not growing. Um, of course, everyone watches streaming. Streaming is, is the majority of what people spend this is the majority of what people are doing when they're sitting in front of the television. Is that correct? Most of the time when people are sitting on the couch watching TV, they're watching streaming. That is not correct. What? No. no. Nobody watches traditional because, TV anymore. As you talked about earlier, there's a there's a certain uh, demographic that will not cut the cord in that. Is that P50 plus? So – we have, these are from Nielsen publishes this now every month and has done so for many months in a row now. They published this donut chart, which just looks delicious. Look at these. This, this looks like a really tasty donut, doesn't it? Where they, they publish, this is the percentage of streaming time, the, the amount of time that people in the US, this is particular to the US now, the, num the amount of time that people are spending among all their TV time. How much are they spending it on streaming? Well, it is growing slowly. Uh, it is up to 29, almost 30% in March. We don't have this for April yet. April is still ongoing. So 20, we could round up and say 30% of the time that people are spending using a television is being spent on streaming. And that is up from uh, the quarter before. I, I, they do put this out every month, but I just grabbed every three months here. In December, that number was not 30. It was 28%. Before that, it was 28% and it was also 28%. So it's not like rapid growth where it's up by a few percent uh, every month or every quarter. It is growing, growing relatively slowly. Meanwhile, about two-thirds of the time that people spend in front of a television is still being spent on either broadcast or cable television, traditional TV. Of course, that is skewed by age. As we can see here in the P50 Plus category, this is for September. Um, what, what is what is that? 
of the time that people over the age of 50 spend using a TV, they're spending it on traditional TV. Only 17% streaming. Uh, and and it, gets, it gets more and more streaming, less and less traditional TV the younger you get, as you would expect. Um, cable TV, cable TV is dying and those businesses are dying. Is that, isn't that right? Cable TV is not profitable. It's only a matter of time before it all collapses, right? Is that correct? That is incorrect. That's right. You've learned that most of the questions I ask you like that, the answer is no. <laughs> yes. um, but I'm actually paying attention to the data too. <laughs> yes. So, but, but, but Gullo, don't you know that P18, AEW has taught me that P18 to 49 is the only thing that matters. P2 plus doesn't matter at all. P2 plus is dumb. Only old people. That measures old people disproportionately. It's the demo, the demo, the demo, the demo, the demo. The demo matters because that's what determines the ad rates, right? So how is cable not dying if the demo is is down so substantially and it's only it's disproportionately overwhelming people in this less valuable ad demo, age 15 over over, who are still sticking around? I mean, they must be getting fees. Oh, it's TV is not completely based on advertising revenue. No, no. You pay a pretty hefty uh, monthly subscription to whether you have like Comcast or or whatever, plus all the fee they add. <laughs> where do you, where do you, let's at least major cable networks, where do they get the majority of the revenue from? It's from advertising though still, right? Uh, no, that would, that actually, that would be from the rights from the networks. That's why we always have those, those, disagreements where you lose a like on spectrum like oh this network's not gonna be on here because they can't agree to the compensation package yes are you looking at the slide that we're on right now you are you're in it what are the three pie charts what companies are these three pie charts for turner fox and nbc universal which interesting enough all companies that carry professional wrestling or sports entertainment yes media as i like to call it um and the the two cable companies, now this is from 2019. This is not the latest data, but this is the latest that's available as far as I know. The majority of the, the Turner revenue comes from not advertising. The majority of the NBC Universal revenue comes from not advertising, from subscription fees that they get from DirecTV, from Comcast, well, themselves in that case, from DirecTV, from Cox Communications, from Spectrum. From Altice, Dish Network, whatever it is. In the case of Fox, Fox, you can get over the air, so they don't charge as much. They, they still charge, though. That's still about a third of Fox's revenue is paying cable systems or being paid by cable systems for the right to put Fox on their system. Even though you can get over the air, they still get to charge DirecTV and Comcast and Spectrum and Altice. They, they're still charging them to put an over-the-air network on their cable system. But they also make ad revenue. The NFL ad revenue. Part of that. Yeah. Uh, they also get ad revenue. Ad revenue is the majority of Fox's revenue. And I, w- I would expect that that's the majority of NBC broadcast revenue. I would imagine it's the majority of CBS broadcast revenue uh, and ABC as well. Uh, but this system, this cable bundle is still profitable. You know what's not profitable? Netflix is profitable. Peacock is not profitable. Um, And I don't know about the others. HBO Max, Disney Plus, they might not be profitable yet. Those are dumping a lot of money towards content. Cable One is still profitable. Streaming, not profitable yet. 
Um, if you if you're a streaming consumer, you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of pressure put on you soon to spend more on streaming. So there is that. Um, yes, I think that's all. Um, I before yeah yeah before we move on, we do have a super chat. Just kind of backing up a little bit. Um, what about the decline that's starting to happen? This for Darrell, generous super chat. Thank you, Darrell. Uh, what Thank about you. the decline that's starting to happen with W? B and how a lot of their executives are being let go and replaced where I think that's probably a lot of part of the merger. Um, I, I don't know of any particular cases. I know there were articles uh, the day before the merger, the merger was really finalized about potential layoffs. And I'm, I'm sure many have happened um, in the As far as the concerns wrestling though, Brett White's is still in his job. Um, Sam Blinsky is still in his job. Those are the people who are very involved in the AEW relationship. That has not changed. Their boss has changed. Uh, her name escapes me. We mentioned it last week. Uh, but the people who have been very involved with the AEW relationship between AEW and Turner, they are still there. Um, so nothing's changing yet for for AEW and its relationship with with its TV partner, which is by far its most important relationship. All right. I merged now the rating. Move on. I merged the ratings, mm-hmm. Ryan, and uh, Shoba's daily data. It, it, uh, I don't know if there's a lot to say about this other than we can see where the reruns, I guess we can say this. We can see where the reruns land, the top 200 reruns for a given week. Where do they land? They land almost entirely outside of the top 150. You know what's inside the top 150 for a rerun? As Gullo Would, gets his face closer to the screen. Yeah, it's a, it's a small chart for me. I'll just let you answer the question. I mean, I the, would imagine uh, on there is probably a, a wrestling program. But. The big ba- is, is wrestling a rerun, though? No. The Big oh. Bang Theory uh, is, is one of the oh, only yeah. programs, along with Impractical Jokers, which I think is a, is a Turner property. Or Turner program. Uh, those are there. So, but what, what, what my takeaway from this though, is that the three big wrestling programs, SmackDown, Raw, Dynamite are all a safe distance away from these reruns. Why, why does this matter? Reruns are, are far cheaper to, to broadcast because you're not producing them for the first time. There's probably a, a, a serious licensing fee involved, but you're not producing it for the first time. Uh, so reruns are, are uh are easy to use to replace if you're gonna cancel something you might just replace it with a rerun because it's it's more efficient more profitable perhaps than what you're doing currently uh good news though for WWE's flagship programs and for dynamite and that they are a safe distance away from the best performing uh reruns um practical jokers did really well but but even dynamite is a safe distance this is in the demo a safe distance away from the big bang theory and anything else uh, that's on the chart that is a, that is a well-performing rerun. Rampage is performing below a lot of reruns. Rampage is on a, on a weaker time slot, though, so I would take that into account. Uh, other reruns that perform strongly. Friends on Nick at Night, The Office on Comedy Central, uh, Family Guy, I think, on TBS. So things like that. Um, there's that. Uh you you wanted to uh, to talk about um, all the names that have changed because that that really irks you about WWE, right? That's what you told me earlier. I think. So, so I we might as well bring up the names though. Uh, so you 
Yeah, have changed uh, recently. There was that story that came out that McMahon wanted to go away from people using their real names or their indie names. Uh, and we've seen uh, 11 name changes in just in the last four weeks. Now, we didn't include Walter and Gunther because that happened, I think, early March. Yes. I so think that happened. Your, your, yes. your, your assignment was give, give me all the name changes that happened in the last four weeks or so. So, but uh, the, these were, and I think I caught every one of them. Who knows? I could have missed some, but we got Rockwell Gonzalez is now Rockwell Rodriguez. So not much of a changer. Casey Contazaro was a name outside of wrestling, which this is this, why this one surprised me, but well, she's well, that's her real name. Chance. That's her real name though. Right? Yes. We yes, can't have people's real Ninja names. Warrior. We can't have people's real names being used because then they could gain recognition under that name. And then they could leave WWE and use that name to maintain their value. No, that's that's not in the interest of shareholders uh, or Vince McMahon's sense of Kaylee. Kaylee Ray is now Alba Fire. Austin Theory is now just Theory. Thank God that was confusing. Me that there was a Steve Austin and an Austin is now Theory. Faith. I, I couldn't oh, yeah. keep, I couldn't keep those two things straight. So uh, my my script. Could not keep those two things straight. I'm, I'm doing a script that's that detects the names and puts the the unique ID. It was getting confused. My my script is a casual fan. Apparently, it was getting confused between Steve Austin and Austin Theory. Uh, so yeah, Mace is now Face, which I don't think it's something they've done on television. They but they've done on uh, unaired. You uh, saw, this LA was in Buffalo that this happened, Mace. wasn't it? No, no, no. That that was a SmackDown before. I have to say when I when um, I looked at this list that you put together. Um, Mace is now face. Yes. <laughs> yep, that's face. Why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, let, let's repackage them. Um, you know, this Mace thing, maybe that's maybe that needs to be refreshed. Um, let's call him face. Is he going to be a heel? Is that like a is that like a heel face pun? It's going to be a heel. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a heel. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, Roxy uh, is now Roxanne. She used that name on the outside. Raul, Can't have that. Yep. Raul Mendoza, who's been in NXT for a while under that name, is now Cruz del Toro. <laughs> yes. Uh, Zach Gibson is now just Gibson, and yes. James Drake is Drake. Good. The NXT, uh, Much better. It's like uh, somebody needs a haircut. Like they have this, <laughs> this, this extra thing that's no, cut it off. And no, they will no longer be referred to as the Grizzled Young Veterans, their tag team name. That's a name that they have used outside of WWE. We can't have that because they could go back and use that if when they leave. So just Gibson and they'll be they'll probably be able to use Gibson and Drake though, because they've used those surnames outside of WWE. So I, I don't I have know. seen the I, I think, I think the they GYV could. I think they could. When they come out, <laughs> I think maybe they should be renamed again so that, so that they have even less uh, value outside of WWE. That would be more <laughs> the, more in the interest of the shareholders. Uh, Marcel Barthel is now Ludwig Kaiser, mm-hmm. and then Pete Dunn is Butch. Yes, as we're aware, everyone is aware of that. Ludwig Kaiser. That doesn't doesn't get more stereotypical than that, does it? Uh, no. Okay. So, so yeah, there, there's your name changes uh, that we have here. Uh, we did, did get a uh, uh, super chat, kind of going back to the AW Dynamite stuff, if you wouldn't mind me asking that here. Sure. Uh, Glennie Kodra, thank you for your super chat. How much more lucrative is uh, a Dynamite uh, over BBT 
Big Bang uh, Theory. Considering how much Turner pays for, a- yeah, uh, considering how much Turner pays over for AEW programming and reruns are cheap. It's hard. How much more lucrative? It's extremely. I, I don't know. Uh, it would there there'd be at least two questions here, right? What are the ad rates for Big Bang Theory? How does that compare to the ad rates for Dynamite? I have no sense. Um, I, I could see either being higher. I could see Big Bang Theory being higher because it's not wrestling and it's more maybe it's more attractive to advertisers. I could see Dynamite being more lucrative because the demo rating is usually higher and it's live content. Maybe that adds a premium to to the ad rates. Um, then what is Turner paying a licensing fee for Big Bang Theory? I would expect it to be much lower than what they're paying for Dynamite, which is like $800,000 a week or something like that. So $44 million a year. I doubt they're paying that much. I, I bet it's in the millions, well into the millions, many millions that they're probably paying per year to license Big Bang Theory, I would guess, because that's not a property that they own, right? It's not a property that Warren Mia has owned, I don't think. Um, so it's definitely more expensive in that case. The, the ad rates are probably comparable. Um, I would imagine it is more profitable for Big Bang Theory to be on television, producing maybe not as good ad revenue as Dynamite does, but in the realm, I would think. Um, and it's probably cheaper to to license. So I don't know. That's uh, that's as much as I can say about it. Yet, you know, it, it, it stands to reason, though, if if it were as cut and as cut and dry as that, that Dynamite is way less efficient to broadcast, then why are they broadcasting Dynamite at all? Um, because they've got to figure that it's not going to be doing ratings that are that much better than what it's doing in terms of look at where it's ranking. It's ranking as the number three program often, sometimes the number one program among cable originals on the day. Why aren't they just airing a lot more reruns? There's got to be some reason for that. Um, maybe part of the reason is that eventually they can use Dynamite as a package to convince carriers like DirecTV, Comcast, to pay them a better carriage fee because they've got live content that people will be more likely to retain their cable subscription because of maybe that's this is I'm just free associating here. That would be my guess. And as we know, those carriage fees are the majority of their revenue, more important than the revenue that is generated from ads, even though it's been drilled into our heads that the demo is the only thing that matters. Well, I think P2 Plus matters because that represents subscribers who are contributing a greater portion of the revenue for a cable company. All right. Uh, move on uh, to... So, so, so Gull, this, 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 this section, we're going to skip. We're going we're to go ahead to, to uh, talk about fasts. Do you remember what a fast is? Okay. That is ad-supported television? Very good. Very good. There was not even a clue in the slides here that would tell you exactly what it was. Um, some examples of free ad-supported television. We got IMDb TV, the Roku channel, Peacock, Plex, Tubi TV, and Pluto TV. Is Peacock Peacock is a fast, though? I thought it was a subscription service. Um, well, it's free with the Comcast package. And then you get when you have that, you get the ad-supported one. And nobody can watch anything for free on Peacock without a paying subscription? No, I believe there is some stuff that is available for free on there, I believe. Yes. Probably yes. the NBC Next Day programming, I'm assuming. There's there's a limited amount of content that you can watch for free on, on Peacock. Um, 
I've plex plex is something that I've heard of that people would use to watch movies that are like from their computer or something. Yes. But apparently it's a but fast plex also, also has their own. Yeah. They have their own, uh, um, library of free movies, free television shows. I think they carry like those channels, those streaming channels that are on the same channels that are on plex that are also on the LG TVs that are on Pluto, you know, those, uh, those news channels and, and music videos and sports and stuff like that. Okay. Um, who owns all of these properties that we're looking at right now? I don't know who owns Plex, so we can skip over that one. Roku is independent. Yeah. Um, IMD, IMBD TV. Do you know who owns that? I actually do not. Amazon. Uh, Peacock is obviously owned by NBC Universal. Tubi is owned by who? Fox. And Pluto TV is owned by who? It, yeah, I, I don't. I'm assuming it's Viacom. Viacom, formerly known as Viacom, now known as Paramount. Uh, yes, Paramount. Yes, yeah. Uh, so, so there's that. I don't really understand personally the appeal of of Fast. I've never. I mean, I'm not a big TV watcher. I guess as it is. But do you do you use any of these services? I guess Pe- Peacock we use to, yeah. to watch WWE, but. Yeah, no, I actually do. Um, it's not like appointment television, but it's one of those things that like it's late at night and I don't really know what to watch. I'll put Pluto TV on. Uh, I enjoy the Wings channel. <laughs> I like Wings. <laughs> like the, so they the have TV the, series Wings. They have twenty four seven Wings. This is not like a a network that's just talking about Buffalo Wings and various. No, this is the, the about Buffalo Wings. This is the sitcom nineties Wings that I think only me and. Uh, uh, social media wrestling influencer RG City talk about in public, but yes, okay. I, I do remember Wings. The, uh, <laughs> I remember wings. It was a, a show about um, an but, airport where they would never actually see the planes. Um, yes, go ahead. They have like some music video channels. I'll sometimes throw on in the background. It's a great thing for the Yule log when you have family over for Christmas and the holidays. <laughs> but it's not appointment television. It's not something I'm always watching. Uh, and then just if some if I want to watch a random old movie, sometimes it's only available on say like Tubi and I'll watch that, but I don't really use these channels a lot. They're not built into my regular everyday habit. And I think there's a fair amount of wrestling presence on some of these services. Obviously Peacock has yeah. WWE. Um, Roku has New Japan. Yep. Pluto. I think I've been on Pluto on Beyond Wrestling. They have two. Yeah, Pluto's got two. They got a wrestling channel, which is shows Beyond uh, WWR, which is Beyond Affiliate. They've shown mm. Defy, I think, is on there. PCW Ultra out of Los Angeles and Impact. Uh, they Impact has its own channel, yes. Okay. Um, but and wrestling channel too. The wrestling channel's got old like late eighties, early nineties stuff from like ICCW and stuff that I love watching. Okay. And so, um, Tubi, as as we know, uh, MLW was in discussions with Tubi. Allegedly, WB interrupted this. By the way, there is an update on the uh, MLWWB lawsuit. There was a um, uh, Mark Kasowitz, the high-powered attorney representing MLW, filed a response uh, to to WB's motion to dismiss. There's no real new information or evidence or allegations in it. It's it's just a lot of legal arguing uh, to 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 argue against the argument that Jeremy McDivitt was making in favor of WWE. Cass was arguing that, yes, it does, in fact, meet uh, antitrust uh, requirements. Uh, so that that case continues 
to be ongoing and we'll we'll be sure to let you know when there's new information there um would it ever make sense for a wrestling company to launch its own fast though uh depending on how good the ad rates would be though the ad rates on that you know yeah i don't know what a ad rate is for a lot of these you know i think what if aew launched a fast that had all of its whatever content i guess AEW or Tony Khan owns at this point, which would be all the AEW content and the Ring of Honor content. And maybe that's a way for them to, I don't know if it generates a ton of revenue for them on their scale, but it at least starts to give them a, a presence on streaming, a way for non-cable households to reach them other than YouTube in a way that's, you know, other than social media or YouTube. Um, Maybe it's a way, I don't know, maybe it's a way that they can sell pay-per-view on a more direct-to-consumer basis with a higher margin for themselves rather than just through cable distributors or Fight or BR, the, I don't know, what is it? Is there still, there's a Bleacher Report app still, right? But not a BR Live app. Anyway, um, so maybe that's something that could happen. Um, And maybe eventually if they get enough of a track record and presence as a fast platform, maybe eventually that's something that has value to eventually be bought out or licensed by a major player someday. Uh, something to think about. Uh, but that's all. We we uh we will we will tackle my uh my big TV rights speculation another day because otherwise this program is going to be two hours long. Um, in the world of YouTube. Uh, the Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair clip is on track to be the most watched YouTube clip of the week. In fact, if I if I go into my where is it YouTube 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 line charts and I tell this this script to run right now, this is only as of nine o'clock. We will get this as of noon if my script cooperates with us while I'm streaming and doing all sorts of other things, making this this stream. Uh, not work work perfectly. Um, really frustrating streaming issues that I apologize for. Uh, I, I might have to just get better internet service here. Um, I've been very frustrated today looking at all the frames that 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 are dropping. Uh, but here we go. This this is running really slowly because of all the stuff that I'm doing here. But uh, it is opening, and there we go. No, it's still behind. It's still behind, but it's definitely on track. If you look at this trajectory. In fact, this um. What is this? 900,000, 970,000 one. The, the top 10 moments of SmackDown is doing well as it usually does. So there is that. If you, if, if today's the day you want to make the argument that Ronda Rousey and maybe Charlotte Flair are a draw, you have a modicum of evidence today. Um, but that's all. Anything else to add? Uh, nothing much. You know, we, we, we covered the, uh, the GCW IWTV settlement. On Wednesday, uh, but for our, our listeners that didn't tune in on Wednesday, there was a uh, agreement with that uh, that it would uh, GCW would have to provide eight exclusive shows to IWTV over the next twelve months. Uh, there, it will be no money exchanged hands. Yes, our our, our talk from Wednesday is on YouTube, um, and it is on the the audio version is on the Patreon podcast feed also um but that's all for us this week if you hit thumbs up on this video if you're watching on youtube we would really appreciate that if you give us a nice review on your podcast app 
that would be wonderful of you. Uh, as always, the, the WrestleNomics Patreon is at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. It has my TV ratings reports that come out nearly every day, and you get access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet data, as well as other things I report, including quarter hours. Uh, but what about you, Chris Cullo? Uh, the part three of the Burt Prentice deep dive will be out Wednesday on, uh, rediscovering in these RTI pod. Uh, so check us out there and, uh, you can always follow me on social media. Next, uh, I'll be, uh, you know, appearing somewhere, uh, possibly today <laughs> as well as, possibly? uh, you know, I got a few possibly? shows coming up in May. So yes, only possibly possibly. Yes. Okay. Okay. That that's all for this week. Thanks as always to post wrestling uh, for being tremendous media distribution partners. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.